we continue the series on the life of Moses, we're in Exodus chapter 3, reading the first 10 verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That day changed the life of Moses. And the interesting part of it is that it started off just like any other day. Moses was going to do shepherd's work, watching the sheep do sheep things, just like he had for 40 years. And during that one ordinary day in the desert, Moses stopped. He stopped because he saw an ordinary bush catch fire and start burning. And after that, nothing was ordinary in his life again. A 40-year silence by God was broken. Moses went to work, doing what he did for 40 years, and God showed up at work. And it changed history, Moses' history, Israel's history, the world's history. Moses thought he would spend just another day with sheep, nothing more, nothing less. He did not have a clue when he got up that morning what was coming. Suddenly God was there. The bush burns, but it's not consumed. Long after it should have been a pile of ashes, it keeps burning. Moses approaches it out of sheer curiosity. And suddenly a voice speaks and calls his name, Moses, Moses. And as Moses looks closer, he sees a person who the writer of Exodus calls the angel of the Lord, who we believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, standing in the middle of the fire. Let me make this clear. Moses wasn't talking to a bush that day. He wasn't even talking to a flame that day. He was talking to the person standing in the middle of the fire that day. God found Moses in the routine of his ordinary life. It would be like one of us hearing God's voice at the water fountain at work, or a mechanic seeing a vision while he's under the hood of a car he's repairing, or God appearing as a mother changes her baby's diapers. The lesson of Moses in the burning bush is that God steps into ordinary life and He does it far more than what we think. He's not confined to church or Sunday school or particular locations. He can show up anywhere, anytime, in the middle of ordinary life, and often He does. Who would look for God, by the way, in a scrub bush? 
a bush that looked like millions of other scrub bushes in the deserts. I can think of nothing more mundane and more common. In fact, the Hebrew word is it was a thorny scrub bush. The other bushes looked down on the thorny scrub bush. There was absolutely nothing about that, this bush that made it unique or special, and yet God shows up in it. And you know why? Because that bush was near where Moses was living out his ordinary life. God finds us where we are. He has to. It's the only place where we are. In this place, in this moment, in our ordinary activities, this is where God shows up. Because if he's going to speak to us and touch we us and love us most of the time, 5% of Where our lives in church, it? what about the other 95%? Which means that if we are going to walk in the Spirit, and if we are going to pray without ceasing, and although those two things aren't the same, one reinforces the other. If you walk in the Spirit, you pray without ceasing. If you pray without ceasing, you tend to walk in the Spirit. If we're going to live God-saturated lives, our first act of faith is to pay attention to the God who is constantly seeking us. And often we don't pay attention. Have you noticed? We often don't pay attention to God. We don't pay attention to our spouses. We don't pay attention to our kids or our loved ones. Often we don't even pay attention to what's going on inside of us. I know married couples who live in the same house, and they are worlds apart. They quit paying real attention to each other years ago. I read this fascinating article by uh, Emily Smith, and she talked about research she had read by John Gotham. And he had run a, a, an experiment with 130 newlywed couples, and he discovered one critical thing about whether couples made it or not. He took them on a retreat, and throughout the day, he would watch partners interact with each other. Or make requests for connection, which Gotham called bids. For example, say the husband is a bird enthusiast and notices a goldfinch fly across the yard. He might say to his wife, look at that beautiful bird outside. And Gotham said, he's not just commenting on the bird here. He's requesting a response from his wife, a sign of interest or support, hoping they'll connect, however momentarily, over the bird. When somebody says, look at this or look at that, or did you think about it, they're not, they're, it's not about the bird. Now the wife has a choice, he says. She can respond by either turning toward him or turning away from him. And though the bird thing might seem minor and silly, it can actually reveal a lot about the health of the relationship. Because, you see, the husband thought the bird was important enough to bring it up in conversation and the question is whether his wife recognizes and respects that and wants to connect with him over that. You see, we, can, we have choices. When somebody offers something to us, often indirectly, we can turn towards them, we can turn away from them. We can say, oh, wow, you're right, that's a great-looking bird. How exciting. Or you can say, stop interrupting me, I'm reading. These bidding interactions or invitations to connect had a, Gotham found, a profound effect on marital well-being. He said couples who had divorced after six-year follow-up had low turn-toward bids or connecting. 30, they only connected 33% of the time. In other words, when somebody kind of threw out these invitations, these informal invitations to connect, two-thirds of the time, people just ignored it. 
And he said couples who were together after six years and had a wonderful marriage turned towards each other or accepted these bids or connected 87% of the time. Nine times out of ten, they were meeting their partner's emotional needs. By observing these types of interactions, Gotham said he could predict up to 94% certainty whether couples would be broken up together and unhappy or together and happy years later. 94% of the time comes down to this. Are you paying attention and responding to the invitations to connect by your spouse? Because you cannot be loving and ignore people. It's true for marriages. But guess what? It's true for walking with God. We are called to be listening to our souls and the God who inhabits our souls. And we're called to do it all day long. Our task as Christians is to spot God's grace constantly at work all around us. We live in a world that's filled with God's Spirit. In fact, the Bible says we're filled with God's Spirit if we love Jesus. And the question for us is, are we paying attention to His nudges? Are we listening to his whispers? Are we opening ourselves to his presence again and again and again throughout the day? Praying without ceasing or walking in the Spirit, by the way, is not talking and talking and talking. It is being conscious of the work of God all around us. It's being present to God's presence. It's relating everything in our lives throughout the day to him. Let me tell you a secret. Nearly as much God as about isn't our concerned about our word. Praying without ceasing is opening our heart to God and inviting Him to take a tour in all that is in us at that moment with or without words. Words are not that important to prayer. In fact, that, that's what the Bible says. It says, when the Spirit prays for us, He prays with groanings that go beyond words. Sometimes the greatest prayer you will ever pray is, Jesus. It is saying, here's what's in my heart right now. The longings, the joys, the temptations, the bottomless pit of need. I offer all that I am up to you, even when, especially when words fail me, and I can't even tell you what's going on inside of me. Have you ever been in places where you said, I can't even talk? You can still open up your heart and say, come on in, Spirit. You know what's going on. That's prayer. And we're called to do this as we tend sheep, as we do our jobs, as we listen to our friends, as we go along through our ordinary days doing ordinary stuff. We are called to see what God is saying and doing in the unspectacular corners of our lives. You know why? Because God shows up in bushes, He shows up washing dishes. He shows up mowing the yard. He shows up when I'm angry and about to say something harmful. And suddenly I sense a, a pause or a check in my spirit. A nudge that tells me, shut your mouth right now. Or as I see my kids playing and I'm busy, something prompts me to turn back and take five minutes and play with my kids. Pay attention. Because God whispers and often we miss it. Because our mind is preoccupied with far lesser things. And if we pay attention and we listen, we just might find ourselves standing on holy ground right in the middle of our own living room 
We just might find our words, find words coming out of our mouths, set on fire by the Spirit and impacting lives in what started off as a normal conversation with our kids. Walking in the Spirit is being fully present, wholly awake to each moment, every day. Because you see, you can never tell what God will set on fire. I believe in times of silence. I believe in times when, you know, I've gone to monasteries and taken days of retreat in order to be still and know that He is God. But regular life cannot be seen as interfering with the presence and movements of God in my heart. Every activity, every activity you do is an opportunity to grow closer to Christ. I can sit at Jesus' feet in a monastery. I can also sit at Jesus' feet negotiating a contract. I can sit at Jesus' feet fixing lunch. We can be active, you see, without being busy. Busy is when my mind is racing and worrying and frantic. Busy is when people are distractions and obstacles instead of people I love. Busy is when tasks mean more than loving people. Remember Mary and Martha and Jesus? Remember Jesus' rebuke of Martha? You know, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, taking in what Jesus says. Martha's being a good hostess. She's running around the house, getting the food prepared, making sure the guests are taken care of. And remember what Jesus said to Martha? He said, Martha, you're so distracted. Now, I want you to hear this because often what what this means is people who sit and do nothing good, people who work hard bad, that's not what, this was not about that. Martha was not doing anything wrong by being a good hostess. The problem was she was distracted and she was busy. And the way we know it is because she was angry. Martha could have done everything she was doing, by the way, in an unbusy way. She could have done it as an act of love in the Spirit, not as an obligation that distanced her from people and made her angry at her sister. You can be active and not busy. Did you get that? Okay. (laughs) You can be working. And listening to the Spirit at the same time. You can be cleaning and paying attention to the still small tasking all the time. This is the ultimate multitasking. You don't need to go to a monastery to be with Jesus. All we need to do is to be open to Him in whatever we're doing. Moses saw the burning bush. And you know why? Because he was not in a hurry. Young Moses would have been in a hurry. Young Moses would have been in his chariot important person, places to go, things to do. He would have been there with his entourage. Young Moses would have never seen a burning bush. But instead it says he turned aside. Yeah, do what that kid's doing. (laughs) He paid attention. He paid attention. In our rushed, frantic, busy worlds, how many burning bushes do we miss every day? Too many things are allowed to distract us, just like Martha. And we become numb to the Spirit, moving in us and around us. Moses taught us. He turned aside. And he found God in his normal, everyday world. Steve Hayner was the head of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and later the president of university. And a little while back, 
he was diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer. And John Ortberg, who's talking about this in his new book, said, said that Hainer's world, which had grown so large, I mean, InterVarsity, that's, that's all over the world. He said his world, which had grown so large, sh- suddenly shrank down to a very small size. And all Hainer had the energy to do was receive cancer treatment, pray, and love the people nearest him. And on his birthday, he wrote these words. He said, when I was healthy, I could seize the day. He said, I can't seize the day anymore, but I can welcome it. I can welcome the day. And Orberg says, when we are born, our world is very small. As we grow, it may become quite large. But if we live long enough and grow old enough, our world will become small again. It may be become, become as small as the house we can't get out of, or the room at the nursing home we have to live in, or the bed that becomes our permanent residence, or the wheelchair we need to go anywhere. If you live long enough, your world will become small. And he says, if we do not learn to find God in our small worlds, we will never learn to find him at all. If you do not learn to find God in the everyday, you're not going to find God. If you do not learn to find him in the ordinary, you will not find God. Let me make a suggestion about how to find God in the ordinary, about how to learn the lesson that Moses taught us, how to turn aside. And here's the first point. Always remember that it is not you who provide the fire. Walking in the Spirit, praying without ceasing, is not about working yourself up into a lather. It's not about getting into some sort of frenzy. It's not about, I'm super intense. The fire is not ours. The fire is not our emotion or how emotional we can become. It is not a product of our will. The fire can ignite our emotions and often does, but God's fire is not the product of our emotions. We do not create it or control it. We can only receive it. It is God's job to ignite us, not ours. We can fan the flame in worship, but the fire comes from God alone. Our job is not to try harder to burn. Our job is to be open to the flame coming down. Let me give you some suggestions. Try these things. Surrender your life for just one day and do whatever God tells you to do. Just one day, not the rest of your life. You see, a lot of us, we we treat spirituality as climbing Mount Everest. I got news for you. People die on Everest every year. But I don't know of anybody that's died talking to a bush. I really don't. Try talking to a bush instead of climbing Mount Everest. Surrender to God for one day. And do it just like they do in AA and Alcoholics Anonymous. You know how they live? They live, you know how they stay sober? They stay sober one day at a time. They don't try to stay sober the rest of their life all in one day. They depend on God that day. And then the next day when they get up, they try to stay sober that day and they depend on that that day. And then the next day they get up and they, they depend on God to stay sober that. Do you get the picture? That's what Jesus said, isn't it? 
He said, don't go borrowing troubles from tomorrow. Today's got enough troubles of its own. Live one day at a time. Why don't we live one day at a time with God? Or for an hour, just for an hour, focus on God. Don't say a thing. Don't do anything. Just listen for an hour. Just try that. No agenda. Just see what happens. If nothing happens, that's on God. Or let God speak to you, speak through you to three people this week. Invite God into three conversations that you think are important this week. And as you're talking to them, listen to the Spirit and see what gets set on fire. Or take five minutes or ten minutes every day, maybe at lunch, maybe at supper, maybe at bedtime, just to be grateful. Do you think you could sit back and review your day and thank God for the blessings He gave you that day? Take small steps at first, and then some more, and then some more. As one writer puts it, try softer. Try softer. I love that. You see, a river of living water is running through you. If you're a believer, there's a river of living water. And the river is not you. The river is the Spirit. And as Richard Rohr puts it, faith does not need to push the river. Because faith is able to trust that there is a river, and the river is flowing, and we are in it already. Do you hear that? You don't push rivers. You flow with them. Focus more on what God is doing than what you're doing. Don't pressure yourself to make fire. That's the Spirit's job. Focus, if you want to come into God's presence, focus on God's goodness rather than your efforts. Don't sit there and go, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing, Jesus? Focus on the goodness of the Lord. Rest in God. Trust. Don't force the fire. Let the fire fall on you. There's a story of a young monk who approached his abbot and said, I want to be your student. In fact, I want to be your best student. I want to be the best monk in this place. How long will it take? And the abbot thought for a second. He said, to get where you want to go will take about 10 years. But the young monk said, 10 years is too long. What if I study twice as hard and try twice as hard as all your other students? And the abbot replied, oh, that'll take about 20 years. Why? Because you cannot push the river. You don't make the firefall. You flow with rivers. You make yourself available to burn. But you don't set the fire yourself. The flame comes from the Spirit. Try softer. Take small steps to make yourself available and open. But let God bring the flame. Your job is to stay open and available, to pay attention to what God is doing in your soul. But only God creates burning bushes. And if you stay open and available and pay attention, you just might be surprised at how many bushes in your life catch fire. Because God is seeking us more than we're seeking Him. God wants to set us on fire more than we want to be set on fire. Are we open to the flame? And so often where we get screwed up is we try to create the flame. We think if we get ourselves all emotional, uh, you know, no, no, we just stay open. We pay attention. 
Brother Lawrence, who taught us about practicing the presence of God in everyday life, wrote, remember that? By the way, practice, the second most published book in history, the last I had heard, the first most published book in history is the Bible. The second most published book in history is Father Brother Lawrence's book on practicing the presence of God. And here's what he wrote. I was worried that my walk with the Lord wasn't good enough. Sometimes it got so bad I thought I was on my way to hell, willfully offending God, and that there was no salvation for me. It was then that Brother Lawrence learned to try softer. And did to God one moment at a time, one chore at a time at the monastery. And here's what he wrote. He said, it is not necessary to do great things for God. I just turn my little omelets in the pan for the love of God. I love that. I love that. Can you fry eggs for Jesus? Can you thank God for the eggs in the pan? Can you worship Him for the goodness that gave you life that day that helped you fry the eggs in the pan? You can begin to walk in the Spirit if you will just start letting the Spirit into ordinary places, the small places in your life. And God took Brother Lawrence's teachings and life, and he set them on fire. And they have benefited the world ever since. If you're uptight about experiencing life in the Spirit, try softer. Don't shoot for Mount Everest. Talk to the bush. If you're burned out on religion, try softer. Let God into the small places in your life, but let Him in over and over and over and over till you walk in the Spirit. If you're consumed with guilt or frustrated with, you know, with yourself or God, try softer. The fire is not yours to bring. Open your life to God in the small things, one small step at a time, one small prayer at a time, one small action at a time. Fry eggs for Jesus! As Moses continued his conversation with God, he realized God had been with him in Israel all along. Moses, he said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the one that promised them the promised land. I am the one who put the dreams of deliverance in your heart, Moses. I have been getting you ready to face Pharaoh and bring my people out of Egypt for 40 years. I've never abandoned you. I've heard Israel's groans. I have heard the crack of the whip, the cries of the children. I've seen the malnourished faces. I've heard the groan of every heart. And I'm going to use you, Moses. Oh, this, this is where the conversation... And this is next week's... Well, not next week, two weeks. This is a sermon when, you know, Moses was doing... Moses loved what God was telling him till he said, and I'm going to use you to do it. And not only you, Moses, get ready. I'm going to do to you what I did to this bush. I'm going to set you on fire, Moses, before this is over. You're going to burn, Moses, before this is over. Are you ready to burn? 
Are you available? Have you been emptied of any notion of self-sufficiency? Have you spent time in the desert? Do you know that you are not the fire? Moses didn't know that for a while. If so, then you are ready to burn because God sets bushes on fire all the time. Mark Buchanan is one of my favorite writers, and he lives in Vancouver, Canada. And he said, recently I spent the day with my friends Pete and Marnie Mitchell. Pete and Marnie are Salvation Army church planters working in two areas very inhospitable to the gospel. Vancouver's east side. An inner-city slum of flop houses, crack dens, brothels, watering holes, and strip clubs. It has the highest incidence of heroin use in all of Canada, and it has the highest incidence of HIV-AIDS cases in all of North America, including us. The other area they work in is Vancouver's Commercial Drive District, which is about as close to ancient Corinth as a place can get, decadent, amoral, teeming with sexual license and vice. But Kenneth said, when I visited, we started the day in a tumble-down walk up on the east side. The stairwell smelled of urine. The room we met in had holes kicked in the walls. The light in the bathroom didn't work, which he said probably was a great mercy that we didn't see what that bathroom looked like. The furniture was moldy and tattered. And Marnie taught at the War College, the in-house training the Salvation Army does for those who are signed on, the importance of making sure we are clean vessels in God's hands. And in the middle of hell, these people are planting a church. And some of the people that are in their little army are suburban kids who sought a life in Christ and who thought life in Christ should be more than attending youth group movie nights and playing games of jello. But most of the students were people who not long ago were living on the streets, turning tricks, making deals, scoring drugs, hustling, panhandling. Buchanan said they were altogether the most unlikely troop of warriors you have ever set your eyes on. He said their kingdom disguises were perfect, the camouflage flawless. No one anywhere would ever suspect them of subverting evil or putting Satan on the run. He said, then we walk commercial drive, and he said, there's nothing you you can't get down there. And he said, there in the middle of all this, Pete and Marnie are planting a church. The audacity of it is stunning. The beauty of it is captivating. They call the church cross-culture. Is it successful? Well, it depends on what you call success. Buchanan says yes and no. It depends on what you mean. They witness miracles of transformation where they are planting that church that most of us will never see in our lifetime. They see drug addicts and heroin addicts and people who are... They they see every kind of transformation. And they have their hearts torn in two more than most mortals can bear because there's nothing harder than helping someone up and then watching them go back down. They've learned, and how do they survive? They've learned not to despise small things, but to find the kingdom in faith sometimes is no larger than a mustard seed. That is how they keep going. It's not the big miracles or the heartbreaks that keep them going or get them discouraged. How do they keep going? They keep finding the spirit in the ordinary and in the small. 
And they take their successes where they find it. They're bearing fruit in season and out. And whether that's success or not doesn't matter. It's the kingdom. These kids are on fire. Hallelujah. Maybe you don't spend a lot of time with addicts and prostitutes. That doesn't matter. Because you see, the kingdom of God is not just in Vancouver. It's not just in that church planting. You know where Jesus said the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is within you. The spirit of God is within you. And wherever you go, the kingdom can shine through the mundane. It can shine through the ordinary. It can shine through your life. The everlasting, he says, flits at the edges of the everyday. It can show up in a conversation you get into with the grocery checkout person who's just broken your eggs. It can happen with your child who needs a little more attention just now than you think you have the patience for. And you go, Jesus, help me stay out of prison. It can happen with a coworker who irritates you. Do any of you have coworkers that irritate you? It happens in those times, in those places, when something of God's goodness and kindness and justice, something of God's shalom, is chosen over the much uglier alternatives. Here's the great news today. Jesus is alive. And he keeps showing up anywhere and everywhere, especially in the common places, especially in the bushes. That is good news, don't you think? He keeps setting bushes on fire. He keeps setting people on fire. He wants to set you on fire. He wants to set your life on fire. And he will take it one prayer at a time. He will take it one conversation at a time. He will take it in your ordinary, whatever bush you give him, he'll set it on fire. God wants to set your ordinary life on fire. Because in the kingdom, brothers and sisters, any bush will do. Are you ready and willing to burn? If you do, because I promise you what God asks you to do, in this sermon today, God will bring the fire. God will bring the fire. He wants you more than you want Him. God will bring the fire. He wants to use you more than you want to be used. God will bring the fire. He wants to fill you more than you want to be filled. God will bring the fire. And if you can't do it all at once, then you try softer. Try one thing at another, one day at an after another. Try one act after another, one prayer after another. Just And do it until it becomes a part of your life. If you can't climb Mount Everest, then talk to the bush. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd like to... Kelly's to come forward. And as they're coming forward, I just need to tell you this. Whether this sermon, whether you've heard this sermon, will not be determined by what happens in this service this morning. It will be with what happens with your kids tomorrow. 
or with your spouse tomorrow night, or what's going on at work with the guy that irritates you no end, or with the neighbor who needs Jesus. What? How this plays out. You can feel all warm. I hope you do. You can like the sermon. You should. <laughs> Amen. But it is not what happens here that matters most. It is what happens tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and the day after tomorrow in your relationships, in your jobs, in your play, with your kids, with your spouse. Are you going to let God ignite your life? Are you going to offer up the bush and let it burn? Because wherever you and Jesus are is holy ground. That's where holy ground is. Amen? I'd like the intercessors to come forward. Again, Mary Varghese, a lady of, of, of great prophetic and healing gifts, is on the front row. If you'd like special prayer, well, she's on the second row. But she'll be on the front row before this is all over. <laughs> and you can pray. You can pray with other people. We will pray for anything. But I'd like you to stand. And my prayer for you is that you pray about this, not today, but tomorrow. And on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday, that's when I pray you will pray and invite God into the ordinary of your life. Amen? Intercessors come, we will pray. Mary is there for prayer. Let's worship the Lord and let's get ready for burning bushes.
Lord, bless us as we leave this place and help us, Lord, to pay attention. Help us to look for burning bushes. Help us to realize that so often we are standing on holy ground and we didn't notice. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, to find you in all of life. And God's people say, amen and amen.